What up, Creole fam? Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Shauna Penix, social media director for The Griot. And I'm your co-host, Jaron Keith Gaynor, managing editor of politics and Washington correspondent at The Griot. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, is it time to return to HBCUs? All right, dear culture fam, as we continue to celebrate Black History Month, this week we're hyped to talk about historically Black colleges and universities, better known as HBCUs. <laughs> That's right. As you all know, Shauna and I both attended HBCUs, Spelman College and Morehouse College, respectively. So we're both well-versed in today's topic. And you know, we know the good, the bad and the ugly, but mostly the good. <laughs> mostly the good, mostly. Uh, but yeah, today we're talking HBCU history, HBCU culture, some common challenges from uh, funding, jeesh, to bomb threats, whew, and <laughs> some of the most significant stats. This is a topic that's near and dear to our hearts, so I'm ready to dive in. You ready, G? Let's go get them. Okay, so G, let's walk through some history and background. Like, give me, I already know it, but give me, give us, give the listeners the HBCU origin story. So I like to say that all roads lead back to racism. So we have to, before we can talk about HBCUs, we have to remember that Black people were not allowed to read and certainly were not allowed to go to college. So let's go through some historical facts. In 1799, Washington and Lee University admitted John Chavis, who is noted as the first known African-American to attend college, but the first African-American to have earned a bachelor's degree from an American university goes to Alexander Twilight, who graduated from Middlebury College in 1823. It wasn't until 1862 that Mary Jane Patterson was the first African-American woman to earn a bachelor's degree graduating from, from Oberlin College, but these are all one-offs to be clear. These were solo black students pursuing their education, not mass groups of black people graduating from college. That is right. And in fact, it wasn't even until Richard Humphreys established the African Institute, now Cheney University, in 1837 that an HBCU even came into existence. Its mission was to teach free African-Americans, you know, all the skills for gaining employment. And most early HBCUs were established to train teachers, preachers and other community members. These schools had to be founded because segregation disallowed black folks from attending you know, the white, the white folks college. Uh, <laughs> but the majority of HBCUs originated from 1865 to 1900 and largely through the efforts of black churches with the greatest number of HBCUs started in about 1867, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. More were founded after the Second Moral Act of 1890, which required states, especially former Confederate states, to provide land grants for institutions for black students if admission was not allowed elsewhere. And now look at us. There's 107 HBCUs. But even though there are only 107, the culture of HBCUs runs pretty deep. From Spike Lee's school days in the late 80s, which gave a look at life on an HBCU campus, to the fictional Huxable family from The Cosby Show, whose family attended Hillman College, where the show A Different World took place. There was even a spike in HBCU enrollment in the years the show ran. According to the New York Times, 
from the debut of The Cosby Show in 1984 until the end of A Different World in 1993, American higher education grew by 16.8%. And during the same time period, historically Black colleges and universities grew by 24.3%, 44% better than all of higher education. Even Lena Waite's mentorship program, Hillman Grad Productions, is named after Hillman College. <laughs> Listen, that's a great damn name. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for me, I remember, you know, black actors, especially. Listen, we grew up in a really dope time. Right. So primetime television, if you were watching it, it was, you know, a lot of UPN, a lot of, you know, you know what was going on. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, um, so much um, on primetime, there were so many black actors who were wearing HBCU gear. Like I remember seeing Will Smith and, you know, and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and Living Single, like you said, The Cosby Show, A Different World, even Martin, he's over here wearing, I was like, you ain't go to nobody's nobody. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I mean, low-key, all right, so y'all know, I'm a Beyonce stan. So we have to talk about the now iconic Coachella homecoming performance inspired by HBCU culture, specifically HBCU homecoming culture. So if for those of y'all who don't know, HBCUs are known for their bands. So B's Coachella music was curated like an HBCU band performance. Go ahead and watch it. It's still on Netflix. <laughs> the choreography paid homage to majorettes and Black marching band culture. The dancers were outfitted in costumes that paid homage to Black Greek letter organizations. I mean, which, you know, ooh, shout out to my sorors. All of it was phenomenal. And I know numbers had to be going up again after that. And of course, I mean, hell, you, you can't forget the vice president of the United States, the first black woman to ever hold this position, went to an HBCU. Shout out to Howard University. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Howard. <laughs> hateration, hateration. <laughs> but, but, you know, G, let me know, how were you introduced to HBCUs and why did you decide to go one, to go to one? That's a really good question. And I actually had never heard of an HBCU. I had never heard of Morehouse until a family friend, uh, he got a full ride to Morehouse College. I was, I believe, a junior, a sophomore or junior in college, I mean, high school. And I remember hearing Morehouse College, full ride, Black men's college. I'm like, really? That exists? Um, so I, I, hopped on, I went on the internet. I went to Morehouse's website. And then I discovered that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. went to Morehouse. Um, Spike Lee went to Morehouse. And I'm like, wow, uh, a, a whole a school just for black men. Uh, but then also it was the fact that Morehouse was uh, located in Atlanta, Georgia. And at that time, I was really um, navigating my identity as a black queer young man. And I didn't have gay friends in high school. All my friends were straight. I didn't have like a tribe of, of like-minded uh, black teens at that time. And so part of it was part of it was also wanting to go somewhere where I could find uh, people like me, where I can, you know, create a real actual brotherhood. And um, obviously I did not know the, the breadth of of the HBCU culture. And obviously I fell in love with it. You know, I always say that going to Morehouse was 
the absolute best decision I've ever made in my life, hands down. Um, Morehouse was so profound that my dad, who didn't go to college, he became like a huge Morehouse proponent. We took a tour to Atlanta when I expressed that I had interest. We, we just drove. We just we didn't make an appointment. We drove from my grandparents' house in North Carolina. We got to Atlanta and we just showed up at the admissions office was like, hey, we're from New York. You know, he's like, my son wants to go to Morehouse. Like, can you show us around? And ever since that tour, you know, my dad fell in love with Morehouse. And I always have a special connection to Morehouse, not just because of the the word, this word we always use in HBCUs, the matriculation uh, <laughs> through Morehouse, um, but also because it was so special to my father and seeing me graduate from Morehouse he said was the proudest moment of his life. And he died just a few months after I was able to obtain my degree from Morehouse. And so uh, I, I will forever be indebted to Morehouse for the man I am today. Uh, but it also just reminds you that HBCUs are just really special. Um, but same question for you, Shauna. How did you first become introduced to HBCUs? Uh, well, you know, we've talked about it on this show before. For me, it was a different world. Like, so when a different world premiered was the year I was born. When the show was over, I was like five, <laughs> it was like five, six years old. And I just remember even like as young as like five, six, seven, like watching these reruns and being so enamored with everything that I saw. Like I, I knew I was going to go to somebody's home in college and I was going to be, I was going to be as like, cool and fly as as Whitley <clears throat> but you know I had like my dark skin situation and Kim but Kim also had a, a, a cop for a daddy so we I, it, was, it was a complicated situation it was a complicated situation <laughs> but you know I remember telling my mom you know I'm, I'm gonna go to Hillman College and my mother's like that does not exist however where Hillman or rather where a different world was filmed is actually on Spellhouse's campus and a lot of people don't know this. It's so funny because A Different World is based off of like Hampton University, right? So you're in Virginia and there's this whole thing, blah, blah, blah. But where it was actually filmed, like there are a lot of scenes that I'm looking at. I'm like, hey, that's 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 that's, that's uh, Sister Chapel. I know that. Like there's a whole it, it, there's a different type of pride, like knowing that the pit was actually what's the grill or, you know, all of those types of things. Um, and what's so funny is I remember growing up in New York City. So and, and again, being born and raised in New York City and being surrounded by black and brown folks, basically my entire life, all the way up to all the way up to college. Um, I distinctly remember when I was making the choice to that, I, that I wanted to go to an HBCU. So my top choices were Spelman. They were Howard. It was FAMU. Oh, God, which no shade to FAMU. But I can't be in Florida. I realize that now. <laughs> I, can't, I can't be in Florida. Um, Hampton, I think, was my fourth. And I can't remember which one was my fifth one. It probably went on important. Uh, so uh, and I, I distinctly remember, you know, I had a white teacher who who I love and I'm still in communication with to this day. And I'm glad and I'm mainly because I could prove her wrong. Um, you know, she said why would you go to an HBCU? Like you're limiting yourself. You've been around blacks and Latinos your entire life. Like you're not going to get any kind of uh, diversity. So which 
Girl, clearly you don't know no better because if you go to a Spelman College, a Morehouse College, a Howard University, any of the 107 HBCUs, the fact is, is that you're going to come across Black folks who are from all types of socioeconomic demographic. I didn't know we had like rich, rich Black people like them Jack and Jill folks. <laughs> my God. I was like, oh, y'all got money. Like, <laughs> OK, you know, I'm just from middle class New York. Like there are folks who are from middle America, which I didn't, I was like, black people is in Utah. What's going on here? You know, you're meeting people internationally. You're meeting people with all these different types of interests and, and everything. It, it is such a, a rich culture. Um, and then, you know, I remember there's one episode of a different world that uh, Dwayne, his, friend, um, his like childhood friend is trying to convince him to leave Hillman and go join a PWI because he's like, you're not going to get the same access, you know, and, 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 um, opportunity that you would if you go to a Harvard or a Yale or whoever. Uh, and I remember Dwayne asked Whitley, like, did you go, like, did you apply to other schools? Like, did it ever occur to you that to go to a Harvard or a Yale? And Whitley tells about her, her grandfather who told her, like, listen, you can go to any school in the world, but a place like Hillman is never going to love you and nurture you and, and look out for you the way that the faculty and staff of an HBCU do. And I'm telling you from my black professors to my white ones, to my Latino ones, they cared, they cared. And I'm, I, I'm so grateful if, well, y'all can't see me uh, if you're listening to the show, but I am currently wearing one of my favorite sweatshirts that says the black of the college, the sweeter, the knowledge. It is absolutely true. I, Oh, listen, I, you don't get me to talking. I'll be out here all day. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that. I love, I also have to echo, you know, just how the love and support that you get from uh, the faculty and staff at HBCUs. And it leads to this question of like, was it what we thought it would be when we decided to go to an HBCU? I can speak for myself that choosing an HBCU had far exceeded my expectations I honestly would not even be here at the Grio if it wasn't for, for going to a HBCU because I, I thought I was going to college to study uh, psychology and to be a therapist or possibly go to law school. But it never really occurred to me to choose journalism uh, as a path. And I remember I had a English 101 course. My mentor, Dr. Allison Ligon, she it was her first year teaching at Morehouse. And I remember we had like a writing exercise. And the next day when we submitted our um, essays, she was like, I want to read um, this exemplary uh, writing uh, to the class. And she's reading it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's reading my paper. Um, and so that's when, like, I was like, oh, am I really that gifted as a writer? And so long story short, like she became my mentor. I started going to her office um, after class and she was like, I think you are you should you would be be a really great English major and I think you should change change your your major you should, you should really think about it and this was a second time someone had told me I should be an English major because someone in uh, one of my English professors in high school said the same thing and so I felt like the universe was like really talking to me and I did end up changing my major to English started writing for the school newspaper and hence ended up going on the path of journalism um, and I, I just, I, I think about that all the time. Like, what if I had decided to go to my backup, which was St. John the Baptist, 
St. John University, St. John University in Queens, New York. And I only applied there because it was home based. And I was like, if I just decide not to go to Atlanta, I want to stay home in New York. Um, so my life would be very different had I not. I also think about um, this, the amazing brotherhood that I've been able to form. Now, the majority of my friends, like I mentioned, I was looking for that black gay like brotherhood. I have that times times three. It's been it's just like relationships that, you know, you will have till your very last breath on this earth. And to have that kind of love and support and friendship is like you can't even describe it. Um, and I just found also a deep pride in being black. I, I, it reminded me going to Morehouse and, and having history courses and African-American studies courses, African-American literature. I learned how much uh, my high school and, and, uh, and all of my schooling really in New York really failed me as a black person. I did not really know my history until I went to college. I think about that. I didn't really know just how gruesome you know, uh, uh, white people were toward black people. Like we, my, I had a professor who showed us like hangings, like really terrible images. And yes, it kind of stirred up a lot of emotions and, but it's important to see and know the truth for yourself. Um, and which, it, and it really shows you that how important HBCUs are even today, because now we're having this pushback in schools about teaching about slavery and race and racism. Um, and so, so I, I really uh, encourage HBCUs, uh, people going to HBCUs and supporting HBCUs because our the PWI institutions uh, sometimes can be um, a hindrance to knowing your own history if, you, if it's not around you. Like in my family, they weren't talking about that. My parents weren't, weren't teaching me Black history. Um, and so it's also ex exposed me to Black excellence. Um, and you mentioned this a little bit early, earlier, Sean, about just being around Black people from from different socioeconomic backgrounds um, all across the country um, is just as diverse as any other institution that is uh, not an HBCU. But what about you, Shauna? What choo in choosing Spelman was it? What you thought it would be? Uh, Lord, well, you about you over here shaking the CRT table. All right. Well, um, for me, I Spelman, I think, was <laughs> a lot of things that I thought it was going to be. It kind of aligned with a lot of my expectations. I was expecting a little bit more Freaknik. I, listen, sister, sister had me anticipating Freaknik and it, it was gone by the time I started college. Um, but I'll say this, like to be on a daily basis surrounded by an incredible amount of driven, talented, brilliant women on a daily basis, like seeing them thrive, um, you know, being pushed outside of your comfort zone. Um, I, y'all know me, I am a fierce LGBT advocate and I, that probably wouldn't have happened had it not been for Spelman College. I wouldn't have been able to uh, find breath and find the words to describe the sexual assault that I endured when I was 17, had I not gone to Spelman College and speaking to women and gaining those type of deeper understandings. Um, I mean, quite frankly, I, I thought it would be super black, black, blackity black. And I got my super black, black, blackity black. <laughs> so I, again, I'm forever indebted to Spelman on that. And um, one thing I can say though, what I didn't expect it to be, well, there's two things. One, damn, it's hard with uh, financial aid. Jesus, I had a full scholarship, but that full scholarship ain't come to like the second week. <laughs> 
<laughs> the second week I was at school. Yeah, listen, thank you, United Negro College Fund. Um, but you know what it is right now, and I feel so terrible for current Spelman College students is, and really current HBCU students, I don't think any of us were expecting bomb threats. You know what I'm saying? Like, so audience, if you don't know, uh, you know, going to an HBCU, you're more than acutely aware of racism, right? So at Spelman, we have African diaspora in the world. As Jaron was saying, you know, you're, you're learning all of these different things. Um, but, you know, you, you also, what's so funny is there are so many myths about HBCUs and Black people just in general. Like, I've gone to a PWI and I've had white people think, like, seriously, that Black folks go to school for free. Like, we ain't got no school loans. I was like, D- you want to talk to, to Navient? <laughs> Would you like to talk to Navient or Heartland or whoever the hell it is? Um, you know, it's it's so crazy. But, you know, when you're thinking about it, right now, there is this huge influx of, Uh, bomb threats being made to HBCUs across the country. And so sad to see that, you know, classes have to be shut down. Students are scared to be in school because we don't know what these white people are capable of. You saw January 6, 2021. What is going on? And the fact is, is that we all know that this is they not new to this. Right. They true to this. Right. They, they were out here blowing up what the 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 youngest, the house of the youngest member of the Little Rock Nine, Miss Carlotta Walls. Like we know how envious that they can be simply because we are out here being black and being excellent and being amazing. Um, you know, but it it's uh, there's there are a lot of challenges and, and Trump didn't help. Uh, <laughs> Trump didn't help at all. Yeah, it has its challenges for sure. And there's also the issue of funding, which continues to be a consistent challenge at HBCUs. Historically, black colleges and universities are facing inequities and funding from federal, state, and local resources. According to the American Council on Education, public HBCUs rely on federal, state, and local funding more than their non-HBCU counterparts, about 54% of overall revenue compared to 38%. This makes HBCUs more at risk to economic downturns, state divestments from higher education, and policy changes, to name a few. In this, there's also the issue of HBCU alumni. They're known for being fiercely loyal to their alma maters, but their rates of giving do not reflect that. The average rate of alumni giving at the nation's 107 historically Black colleges and universities has hovered around 10% for the past few decades. But we also graduate with all this debt. And Lord knows I have weights. I'm not going to say how much, but it's a lot. Um, but, sh- but also, but shout out to Robert Smith, who uh, a couple of years ago forgave a paid for or, or rather paid off the debt of Morehouse graduates of that, of that graduating class. Um, and we've been seeing a lot of uh, these philanthropists um, giving millions of dollars to HBCUs after the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. Um, and while that has been helpful, and I'm really happy to see it, we know that that might not be consistent. And it's not, um, it's not a long-term solution. We need uh, to find other ways to help support HBCUs. Uh, the Biden administration has been trying to help. Uh, President Biden had initially proposed 
spending $500 million in federal money to support HBCUs. And this is uh, in the Build Back Better Act, which has yet to be passed in Congress, but it would provide significant investments in research and infrastructure development, tuition assistance, scholarship vouchers, cybersecurity, workforce development, and increased funding through Titles Three and Five. Uh, but Build Back Better will likely not be passed. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, who was a Democrat, but he's a moderate, uh, refused to support Build Back Better because uh, of inflation. He is in fear that all this federal spending will create inflation um, and will upset the markets and the economy. Black graduates of HBCUs and Black people who have debt in particular are like, cancel our student loans uh, and provide money to HBCUs that are, are chronically underfunded. And so it really puts the onus on us as citizens to make sure that we are uh, contacting our senators and letting, uh, letting them know, our representatives in Congress, that we want to see Build Back Better pass. We want to see more investments in HBCUs because until we see um, an equilibrium, if you will, uh, in, in the amount of support that you see from with PWIs as, and see that with HBCUs, until we see that happen, we will always see these struggles. And I think it's um, critically, it's such um, sad to see because HBCUs have so much to offer. And I want to see future generations have the experience that I had at Morehouse, but with less debt um, and more resources. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it, we we definitely need to see this funding investment in HBCUs. I know you mentioned Robert Smith. I'm going to, on the record, y'all know I don't go up for white women much, but Mackenzie Scott, <laughs> Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, uh, that, listen, she's been holding it down. Listen, <laughs> she's been, she been giving her money. Um, so, you know, and clearly I am biased ultimately because I think that, you know, the HBCUs are pretty much the, they're the best, they're the best thing since sliced bread. Now, let me also preface this by saying y'all PWIs, especially black folks at PWIs, I'm not saying that your experience or your, your school or your pride or anything like that is, is any less than, you know, th that of mine and Jaren's. That's not what we're saying. Um, but what we are saying is, listen, we love our HBCUs. I don't know if you, if you go up for your PWI as much as we do. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, with me saying that I'm biased, you know, I, I know that you are also biased, G. So very much so. <laughs> but I actually brought some stats. Okay. We, we don't, we don't, we don't get into it. Historically black colleges and universities consistently outperform non HBCUs in student experience, affordability, and after college preparedness for black students. According to Gallup, black HBCU graduates are generally better prepared for life beyond college and more engaged at work than non HBCU graduates probably because we're not exhausted by white people yet. Uh, Black HBCU grads are more likely to be thriving in purpose and financial well-being than non-HBCU students. And additionally, Black colleges continue to outperform non-HBCUs in graduating successful Black professionals in a number of fields, including science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And that's outside of the fact that the network is amazing and the experience is invaluable. I mean, I'm going to keep it a buck. I kind of moved back to I moved a little bit for love, a little bit, a little bit for my own, you know, personal happiness. But my line sisters, my Spelman sisters, they're here in Atlanta. Like my core 
is here. I was going to go back where I felt at home. So uh, my HBCU, Spelman College, I love you so much. <laughs> Aww. Yes, HBCUs are near and dear to my heart and not just Spellhouse. There is such an amazing connection and sense of pride across the entire community of HBCU graduates. It is indeed a beautiful thing. To all my graduates, make sure you're giving to your alma mater if you're able, whether it's given in time or in funds. And if you want to learn more about HBCUs, you can visit www.the100-7.org for a full list of HBCUs and their home pages, or visit a local historically black college or university campus near you. And of course, for more news and commentary on the culture, visit the GRIO's website at www.thegrio.com and be sure to follow the Dear Culture podcast on Instagram at Dear Culture Pod. We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Three Points of View Consulting. Three Points of View Consulting is a Black-owned, family-owned consulting firm that focuses on education, policy, business development, and cultural ambassadorship. Born and raised in Washington, D.C., with experience and connections spanning the globe, the women of 3PV have developed an expansive domestic and international reach. Sisters Ava and Leah Danville and their mother, Janice View, serve as principal consultants and bring three unique points of view to diversity, equity, and inclusion work to promote long-lasting organizational systems change. To learn more about Three Points of View Consulting, visit www.3pvconsulting.com. That's the number three, the letter P as in Papa, the letter V as in Victor, consulting.com. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. We love those to podcast at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and co-produced by Taji Sr., Sydney Henriquez-Payne, and Abdul Caduce. 